Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me, as always, my partner in life, my co-host on the podcast, my beautiful wife. What can I say? Her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we keep this hope train of moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. I like doing that. <laughs> I get jealous that you do it, truth be told. Really? Yeah. You want to say the choo-choo? Yeah, you should do the introduction, and then we should we should flip. Okay. We should switch. I'll do it. How would it go? I don't know yet. I have to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> You're a planner, so I can't I can't surprise you with a question like that. Mm-mm. Yeah, we should roll reversal. You should do the whole intro, and then you should introduce me and my partner, whatever you want to say. Yes. That'd be it. That'd be weird. It'd be cool. It would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, look forward to that. Are you going to say, just Sean? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm like you. I got to put some thought into it before it happens. But, you know, like, it's, I think it's good to change things up. I think it's always great to change things It's good to rattle up. the cage. Yes. It's good to get uncomfortable. No. What? I don't like that. You don't like uncomfortable? No, but I do it often. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you don't, also don't like? You don't like surprises. I don't like surprises. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that until about you know maybe the fifteen year mark of our marriage. Yeah. Well, it depends. I like surprises, but not like I'm taking you away and we're gonna go hang gliding or whatever because <laughs> I need to plan. Like, yes, I need to mentally prepare myself for what is about to happen. You know what's crazy about about marriage is how it continues to evolve and change. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. The things I know about you today that I love and appreciate, I many of them I did not even know about you when I got married with you or married to you. That's crazy. I know. Like, I didn't know how you're going to be as a, as a mother. I didn't know how you would inspire me 20 years later in the fitness journey. I had no idea how flipping strong you are until we'd actually gone through some stuff. And so the reality of it is, is that, that yeah, so many of the qualities and attributes that you you know, love mm-hmm. about somebody as, as marriage goes along, you evolve. And then I think you learn more things about it. Like I, I now understand hanging out with you for the last couple of years, ever since I, I got out of the financial services business, I now understand why, well, not why, but how important it is for you to be prepared for the next day. Like oh, yeah. at night, you always ask me, what's going on tomorrow? What are we yes. doing tomorrow? Like you, <laughs> you can't go to sleep without knowing what the day is going to be like tomorrow. Oh yeah. I go over the whole day in my head. I know, I know everything that's going to happen the night before. Yeah. And that's, so if like, you know, like if something weird gets filled into my schedule, that throws me for a loop. Why do you think that is? I don't like, know. Why, why do, you, do you think it's gotten worse since you, as you've aged or do you think no. it's the way you've always been? I've always been that way. Huh? Yeah. I'm just very structured and you know, this is what I'm doing today. And I look forward to my time when I'm not doing anything. See, I, I, I love not worrying about any of that stuff. Yeah, well. I love waking up and just doing it. Just like doing wing life. It. Wing it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's not that I don't like to plan. I just, I think sometimes wing it is more fun because you don't know what's around the next corner. I think I get more things done during the day because I plan it all out and make sure that there's time for everything. Well, point taken. I jam pack it into one day so then the next day I can have a day off. This is true. <laughs> and so I've tried to be better yeah. at being your partner. Yes. I've tried to be better at being your co-host. You are better. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That was a uh, that was a extracted compliment, I think. <laughs> I think I had to say what I had to, I had had to say in order to get you to say what I wanted to hear, which was yeah. <laughs> You are doing better, Sean. You are doing better. You see, I'm a man. I I need your approval. I need you to tell me I'm doing better. Yay, you. And, and doing good. Yeah. <laughs> One more. You are awesome. <laughs> oh, you just made me happy. <laughs> you are the bestest wife ever. <laughs> Okay, now it's getting all sappy. So okay. let's uh, let's move on. Let's move we've on. We've got an interview to do today, and we've got joke time. Joke time. You ready to tell a joke? I'm always ready for jokes. Well, then you can tell your joke, unless I, you want me to go first. No, I'm going first. Okay. And I'm telling a Halloween joke. Okay. Because it's like October. You do it. Okay. What, and actually, it has something else I love in it. What kind of candy... Does Winnie the Pooh hand out every Halloween? Um, what kind of candy does Winnie the Pooh? Well, I, I don't know. I don't even want to think about this. This is weird. Go ahead. <laughs> A bit of honey. Do you know what those are? 
those are so good, but they pull out all your teeth. Yeah, I don't, I don't like jujubes. Here's the only candy I like: Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. And Snickers occasionally. You like Snickers? Yeah, but like I, I don't think I like. Snickers have a good amount of protein. Well, I will tell you I, w- I like hot tamales too. Oh. That's about the only sticky candy I like. I do love hot tamales. All right, you ready for my joke? I'm ready. How do you stop an astronaut's baby from crying, Jennifer? How do you stop an astronaut's baby from crying? Throw them in, in space. You rock it. <laughs> Oh. You rock it. Throw him up in space. Who's booing? What was that? I don't know. <laughs> Hit the wrong button there. Oh. Yeah, I got You mean a- that's not a live audience? No. Oh. We're not fooling anybody, Jennifer. Oh, darn. Well, hey, let me tell you about our guest. We've got Gina Herrera coming on. Mm-hmm. And Gina has an incredible story of hope and faith. And I think her message is going to be very well received. But... Gina is going to talk to us about two major life challenges that she went through and how she responded to those challenges and what those challenges really uncovered about herself, about her faith, Mm -hmm. and ultimately about the subject of hope. So I'm excited to get her on. I'm excited too. Well, let me call her up and let's uh, get her on the line. All right. I've got Gina Herrera on the line. Gina, welcome to Hope Radio Podcast. How are you today? I am doing well. Thank you. Hey, well, we're happy to have you on the show. Couldn't wait to uh, chat about you and your life and your life experiences. So for the benefit of our listeners, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, uh, where do you live? Are you married? Do you have any kids, et cetera? Well, I currently reside in St. Petersburg, Florida. I grew up here, left for a little while, moved to Arizona. I had, And then we moved back a few years ago. I am in the medical field, have been for 26 years. I have three beautiful girls. Ages ranging from 28 to 10 is my youngest. I am married to an amazing man for 11 years. And as you know, as we were talking about before, I am a cancer survivor. Well, first of all, you balance us out with four boys. You got three girls, you know, so it it just kind of goes that way. You know, I think Jen was always waiting for her girl and it just didn't work out that way. I still am. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. People ask us all the time if we're done. I said, yeah, emotionally, yes, we're done. We're not having any more kids. Yeah, there's there, there's no way. Physically, we haven't done anything to ensure that. But the reality of it is, is I think we are done. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We're done here, too. Yeah. I just uh, had my 50th birthday in August. Well, happy belated 50th birthday. I'm going to have my 50th birthday in January. Yes. So, yeah, that's 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 coming up for me. So very very similar in age. So my husband, he'll be 50 in January as well. What's his, so what's his birthday? The 22nd. Oh, so close. Mine's the 23rd. Oh my gosh, you guys, he's older than, than you by a day. Yes. Yeah, great. Yes. <laughs> I, I always loved it because, uh, you know, my birthday was zero one two three. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Easy, easy for my kids and to remember. I have a brother and a sister that are both born on January 22nd, so... That's pretty crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, uh, take us back to, you know, what happened to you in 2004? Because in the pre-show conversation we were talking and, you know, you shared with us a little bit about your, you know, your your experience with cancer and your battle. And um, so just frame for our listeners exactly what happened back in 2004. You know, how did you find out that there was a problem and, and what happened? Okay. So to tell the story, I'm just going to give you a little bit more backstory. I have been doing ultrasound since 1994. So, you know, one of the things that the radiologist imparted to me when I started doing ultrasound as a student and we were doing breast ultrasound, um, she always said, one of the things you want to make sure you do is if the patient tells you that they feel a lump, Ask the patient if you can feel the lump. And that what that will do for you is kind of give you an idea of what you're going to see before you put the probe down. You know, is it going to be a cyst? Is it going to be more than likely a cancer? Because they feel different. She said, not only will that help you be a better sonographer, it will also help you when you're doing your own self-breast examination. So, you know, I carried that with me throughout the years. So, you know, uh, not to sound weird, but I felt a lot of breasts over the years. So <laughs> when one day when I was, um, I, and it was, 
just a matter of rolling over while I was reading and I had an itch and just where that itch was, I felt a lump. And I knew because of all the years of experience that it wasn't going to be good. So naturally it was a a sleepless night for me and went into work the next day and put the probe down, the ultrasound probe down on it. You know, surely it was a solid mass. And, you know, I knew in my heart that it was going to be cancer just because of my, my mother is a breast cancer survivor. So she already had her bout with breast cancer and my mom's mom had breast cancer. So, so it was stacked up against me, but nothing is, you know, is definitive until you've had a biopsy. So working and in the medical field, I was, uh, I was just, I was just going to ask, I, I had a question that was curious to me. You, you said that there's a difference oftentimes between a cyst or a mass, et cetera. Is it, is it the hardness? Is that what I'm getting? Like the, mm-hmm. the physical hardness of it can give you a clue yeah. as to whether it's, you know, one or the other. Cysts tend to almost be mobile. Like they'll roll under your fingers. So if you feel it, it feels like almost like a marble that just moves back and forth. And, um, a cancer is, stagnant it's when you feel it it just feels almost like a knot of tissue it won't go anywhere it's they call them striations so they kind of grow like finger-like uh, projections a lot of times and they just kind of stick to the tissue around it so they do feel a little different so almost like a fist and, with ex- it, with fingers coming out of it in in essence right yeah that yeah it looks like that usually on ultrasound you depending on the type of course but they um they definitely feel different. Um, and so I've always encouraged women, just because you've had cysts all your life doesn't mean that if you feel another lump, don't just assume mm-hmm. that it's, you know, nothing. Always go see your doctor. So, you know, being in the medical field, I was able to navigate my own healthcare pretty quickly. You know, I had a radiologist reach out to a surgeon and met with a surgeon relatively quickly. And he had a student with him that day. And I told her, I said, you need to feel this. You need to know what breast cancer feels like. So they did the lumpectomy and it came back as cancer. And I was, uh, well, I was 34 years old and I was a single mom to a 12-year-old girl at the time, Brittany. And she was going through puberty. So it was, it was kind of hard, just the whole emotional upheaval in our lives. Not only was, you know, was I going through this traumatic, you know, situation, but Brittany was becoming a young lady, you know, she was starting to develop and, you know, all she saw were these, you know, things on her chest being targets. You know, that's what she said. She's like, I don't even want these. These are like targets on my chest. I had to meet with a surgeon a second time and he said, okay, you know, we need to talk about what we're going to do. He said, you're 34 years old. Have you thought about how you want to proceed? You know, there's, some doctors have the idea of, you know, breast conservation. They just feel like you should take the lump and no more than that. And that was the decision my mom went with. But I felt like at 34 years old, the decision that was right for me was to get a bilateral mastectomy. And what that is, is just removing both breasts and then having reconstruction done. And that, that, so he that in and of itself. So just, I mean, just for the benefit of somebody that's never had to to make that kind of a decision that that had to have been a really challenging decision to come to because you know I know Jen worries about this and every time we have a story about you know some sort of cancer especially when in regard to breast cancer it's something that I think that she absorbs and 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 feels and so how did did you process that decision for you was it the history that your mom and grandmother went through and the probability that likely it could come back or recur like how do you how do you come to that conclusion well for me the reason that i decided to go so aggressively was because of my age and when i brought that up to the surgeon he's like have you you know like when i, when I said he he asked me have you made a decision and i said well i have and you know my decision's kind of aggressive he goes well your idea of aggressive in mine might be a little different what do you have in mind i said i want a bilateral mastectomy with uh with reconstruction. He goes, that's exactly what I've, what I've chosen for you. Same thing because of your age. And, you know, at the time, and they've even, uh, that's been what, 16 years now they have head and heels come, you know, progressed in what they can do with reconstruction. But even at that time they were doing much better things. It wasn't like your grandmother's mastectomy where, you know, it was a big, awful red scar on your chest. You know, they were coming a long way in what they could do. So he said, that's 
that's what I would do for you. He goes, you've got, you know, a lot of life to live. Let's, let's do it like that. So I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know that the decision really was that hard for me because when my mom went through it, it's something you ponder for yourself. You know, clearly we have a family history. If this happens to me, what am I going to do? You know, what decision am I going to make? So I think I've already had already thought about, you know, my choices if this ever happened to me. So getting to that conclusion, I don't know, it was, wasn't that hard. But you know what was, was hard for me during this time was losing my hair. Mm. The, breasts, the breasts weren't as much of a big deal for me, and, I, and they still aren't. But at that time, losing my hair was. And I think because, you know, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So they did the mastectomies, and they found that I had some cancer in one of my lymph nodes. So that signed me up for the chemotherapy. Um, and so my oncologist, same thing. He said, you know, because of your age, because he said, technically, what you had done, the bilateral mastectomies, that would probably be just fine. You know, and I had a lymph node dissection where they removed a bunch of lymph nodes in my arm. He said, that would probably be okay. He said, but for insurance purposes, I'd like for you to go through chemotherapy. So that was, that was scary to me, you know, meeting with the oncology nurse, you know, knowing that the next 12 weeks of my life, you know, and up until that point, the movies that were out there, the books that were out there, they depicted a pretty gruesome chemotherapy regimen where you're, you know, vomiting the whole time and you look sick and you can't work and you're in bed. And it, it wasn't like that. I mean, that was a lot of poetic license in the movies. So I'm glad that, you know, I had the, uh, the, the chemo nurse hold my hand through it and tell me what to expect because you walk in there just overwhelmed. And I'll tell you something, another thing, if your listeners ever get to a place where they are diagnosed with cancer of any kind, absolutely bring people with you because Trying to absorb all that information by yourself is a lot. There's a lot to know. And just the fact that somebody tells you you have cancer, I mean, you stop, you don't hear everything. So always bring somebody along. It, it helps. That's great advice. Um, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I want to go back to something else that you had said. So the movies, you know, exacerbate the effects, at least with regard to how you felt it of chemotherapy. So what, what were the effects to you if it wasn't that, you know, completely lethargic, vomiting all the time, can't work? Like, what did you feel while going through that treatment? So naturally the first day of chemotherapy, because there's, you know, depending on the aggressiveness of your cancer, you signed you up for different treatment regimens. So I had eight treatments. Four were adriamycin, which they call the red devil because it's red going in and red coming out. So um, that made me tired. The first day and the third day, and I'm not sure why the third day I was tired, but it didn't keep me from working. So I went to work as usual. Um, and I wasn't, I did have like, I wasn't hungry. Um, one of the ladies that I spoke to, she said, you know, you need to keep your energies up. You need to get something in your stomach. She said, so she would take a scoop of vanilla ice cream. She said, and that helped, you know, get the food down, at least in the first three days. Cottage cheese and vanilla ice cream were kind of staples for those eight, eight, no, 16 weeks, because it, it was every two weeks. So that's what I did. It was a small amount of nausea and um, tired the first three days. Now but I also, okay, go ahead. I was just, I was just going to ask relative to uh, at the time, were you a person of faith? How did, how did you process this emotionally? Like how did you weather that storm? Uh, and, and do you think it helped that you were in the medical industry already where you, you'd been around this kind of thing? Or do you think that that was uh, something that was a, a challenge for you or furthered your challenge? I feel like being in the medical field was helpful to me 
because I had people around me that could give me answers and insight. One thing I did not do, and Google was just coming out at the time. So I didn't, I didn't go out of my way to look things up. And I, and I took my own advice the second time around with colon cancer and did not Google anything. I just feel like that lessened my hope, you know? So I wasn't very much practicing in my, I was raised Catholic. I wasn't practicing my Catholicism at the time. So I feel like people who do have a strong faith do better through this than people that don't. Faith is definitely, faith definitely helps. I didn't the first time through, the second time I did. So I can tell that there was definitely a difference in my attitude and my emotional state with God and without. So you had the surgery and um, had the masses and your lymph nodes removed, went through the chemotherapy, and then any other challenges after that? Or were you, up until we'll talk about the, the other incidents of cancer, but were there any other challenges after that that you encountered? Well, as far as the breast cancer, the way that, that I was even told that I had cancer was over the phone. And it was just such a, well, that just, was just a horrible way to be told that you have cancer. And like I said, my daughter at the time was 12 years old, and she knew that I was expecting the phone call at that certain time. And I remember her walking up behind me, and I'm still on the phone, and I'm in absolute shock. Even though, I mean, I already had a sense of it, but there was still that hope that I could have been wrong. You know what I'm saying? Because I told you a little while ago that I felt it. I pretty much knew that it was. But you still have that hope. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not. Um, so she came up behind me and she looked at me and it's just one of those moments in your life that you really never forget as to say, well, so, and I just remember shaking my head like, no, it, it, it's not good. It's cancer. And she just dropped on the floor in our kitchen and I went running over to her and I grabbed her and I, I looked at her and I said, Brittany, look at me. I said, look in my eyes. And she looked up and I said, I'm not going to die. Do you understand? I'm not going to die. And so challenges, that was a challenge, is keeping myself, keeping myself positive and motivated and, and up so that she didn't see me sweat it. I didn't want her to know sometimes that I was struggling with my own mortality. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I, I, you know, the thing that comes to mind is, you know, sometimes our kids save our life. You know what I mean? And I feel like mm-hmm. you had to rise. You had, to, you had to believe it yourself because you can't be inauthentic to your children. They're going to see right through that. Yeah. So you, you had to, right. to, to rise and connect with that certainty and believe every word that was coming out of your mouth yourself in order for mm-hmm. her to believe what you were saying. And had you not had exactly. Brittany, had you not had Brittany, then now you're, 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 you're battling this on your own and like all of those fears, all of that worry, all that anxiety, all that uncertainty, it's a lot easier to take hold, I think, in, in that kind of an environment than when you're trying to be strong for a family member. Right. Exactly. And there were, they say laughter is the best medicine. I couldn't agree more. So every, day, every night, you know, while I was going through chemotherapy, Brittany and I would meet. Always, you know, religiously, we would meet at eight o'clock and watch the nanny. That was our thing, you know. So we would laugh for a good good hour together, no matter what. Even if she wanted to go to a friend's house, she she was making sure she was there for me too. So, you know, laughter is the best medicine. We just uh, we got through it. So, and that I mean, had to, that. I mean, I. That had to have been an overwhelming experience for her just to be 12 years old, to go, go, be going through puberty, to be going through. I mean, that's such a, a critical age for teens and, mm-hmm. and for young people. And to yeah. imagine that, you know, there's this possibility that her mom might not be there, that that had to have been a completely overwhelming 
thing for her as well. So uh, did you guys talk a lot? Was there any counseling that, that was part of this or you, you, just the relationship that you had, you were able to kind of communicate with one another and, and continue to reassure her. So she didn't, she didn't take on that worry too much. No, the, the latter. I was, I remained transparent during that time about what I was going through, you know, where we were at. So we, we would always talk. We were, she was my ride or die. We were very close, still are very close. When I, uh, yeah, so we live very close to each other. We see each other often. So So you make it, you make it through the breast cancer. You're in remission. Things are good. Living your, living your life, living your best life. And then what, this was what, 12, 13 years later, you just get another devastating diagnosis. Tell us about that. So I had been having some issues, uh, swallowing food and I kept putting it off and kept putting it off. And then finally I went to the doctor and I was like, you know, I've got this issue and you know, I, I'm having trouble sometimes with swallowing. It's not all the time. It's just intermittent. And he said, well, he goes, you're, you're getting close to 50. He goes, you haven't had a colonoscopy. You're a breast cancer survivor. Let's do an endoscopy, but let's tack on a colonoscopy at the same time. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, might as well, because my grandfather had had colon cancer. So it's like, why not? Let's do it. So I get the colonoscopy done, and I'm not, think, I'm not having any symptoms, not rectal symptoms. You know, my symptoms were swallowing my throat. And, said, and, and describe yeah. that for us. Was it, was it pain? Was it an inability to swallow? What, what do you mean by you were having difficulty swallowing? What, what, describe that. Sometimes I would, I would eat food and it would almost like get stuck. A couple of times I had to stick my finger down my throat just to throw it back up because it like wouldn't go back down like a stricture. Mm. I thought, well, maybe it's narrow and you don't know years later what kind of, you know, what's happened between the radiation and the chemo, not radiation, but the chemotherapy and whatever else, you know, so he, they didn't find anything though with the endoscopy just some mild, like some regurgitation, acid reflux. But, you know, you talk about God, I feel like that was a sign for me to go see a gastro doctor so that I could actually get the test done that I really needed, which was the colonoscopy. And I came out of the colonoscopy and the and my gastro doctor was just shaking his head and is like, you know, you had some polyps, we removed one, we sent them all for biopsy. But he didn't want to say it, but I could tell by, you know, by his demeanor and the conversation that it may not be a good thing. So I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited for the results. And I hadn't heard from him. And this was done at the hospital that I work here in St. Pete. So I went to the medical records, got my own medical records. And I was on the phone with my husband. And he's like, he talked to me, and I'm like, hold on a second, I'm, you know, I'm getting my medical records right now from the colonoscopy. He's like, okay. He goes, so are we going to have a drink tonight? Toast your, uh, you know, your good results. And I'm, I'm scanning down these, you know, biopsy A, biopsy B, and I get to biopsy F, and it said, you know, carcinoma. And I was like, had to hold the wall. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me again. So I told Felix, I'm like, no, I said, uh, I have cancer again. So I went to my boss's office and I was like, you know, this is going on and, and I'm out. I called my gastroenterologist and I was like, you know, why did you let me find out this way? You know, why wouldn't you have called me to let me know? So he had me come in. He and Felix and I went in to the doctor's office and started again our new game plan. And the people around me, again, you know, network, I have a pretty good medical network just because of the nature of the job that I do. So I asked around, like, who's a great oncologist and a colorectal surgeon? And this time I had to have radiation because that's part of the colon cancer process. So let's 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 pause there for a second. Let's go back. Why did your doctor not tell you? Why, why did you have to find out the way that you did? What was his answer to that question? He said that he had been trying to get a hold of me, but his doctor, but I was able to scroll back through my, my 
phone logs and show him nobody has gotten a hold of me. So that was a conversation he needed to have with his medical staff because nobody made that, hey, you know, this physician is trying to get a hold of you. We need to do your follow-up conversation, you know. So he was just embarrassed. He was he felt so bad that we had not connected and that, that they had dropped the ball. And we had, you know, that this is how I had to find out. Yeah. By going through the med- to medical records and finding out on my own. So let's let's talk yeah. about uh, the faith component again, because I, I mentioned earlier about that. And you, you said the first time, not so much the second time. So what had changed? Was it your marriage? Was it life in general? Was it the first cancer I- experience? So how did you grow in your faith to be prepared for this next, you know, fight with uh, cancer? It wasn't necessarily the cancer that got me to that point. I'd already been feeling like something was missing in my life, but I knew that I did not want to go back to Catholicism Catholicism, because that just didn't work for me. So I wanted more of a broader base, more Christianity than Catholicism. And we had a place in uh, Riverview where we were living at the time that we liked. And something that they didn't offer back in the day, or at least I don't remember them offering this in 2004, maybe they did, was being able to tune in from home. So I was able to basically go to church and not leave my house, which, you know, when you're going through something like this, it's sometimes it's nice to be able to just stay home instead of having to get packed up and go to actual church. And that was exactly what was missing in my life and what was missing the first time around, too. I guess I I just am curious about how how you felt. I mean, that second diagnosis, I can just only imagine. I mean, I'm a faithful person, but the second time around, you'd be like, really, God? Like, why? Again? Like, why are you putting me through this? Why are you allowing this to happen? I think that's a natural instinct. And so did you have those types of questions yourself? No. Surprisingly, the question that I, what, how I felt was, okay, Apparently, you're trying to tell me something, and I wasn't listening the first time around. So what is the (laughs) message that you're trying to get me to receive? Because I didn't, whatever, whatever it was, I didn't learn it. So I'm here. I'm listening. What am I supposed to learn from this? You're stronger than you think. Oh, thank you. But I think humility is part of it. Yeah. And living one day at a time is definitely part of it. You know, I've always been got to get to the next thing, got to get to the next thing, you know, driving too fast to get where I'm going, you know, trying to climb ladders, you know, always trying to be five years ahead of where I'm at, never being present where I am. So that has been a tough thing for me to learn, to slow down and appreciate what I have in front of me now. I don't have to worry about the next car, the next house, the next job, you know, right here, right now. That's what's happening. And to include time with my kids, you know, slowing down to appreciate. Because sometimes I think all parents, well, not all parents, but maybe all, all or a lot of parents, you know, they get to talking. You've had a long day. You know, you just, you just want to relax. You want to watch TV. You want to tune out. You know, this second time around, I'm listening. I'm stopping. I'm slowing down, and I'm listening. As you're talking, Jen's pointing the finger at me. She she knows that's uh, you. You and I are simpatico that way. You know, I have I've had ever since I was in my early 20s. I have this 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 mantra, this idea of how to live my life, and it's and it's relative to a Japanese word called kaizen, represented by two kanji symbols, and it and it represents continuous, ongoing improvement in all aspects of my life. I'm always trying to be better. I'm always trying to hustle. I'm always, you know, but sometimes having that kind of a mentality, you, you, you miss the journey. You, you miss stopping to smell the roses. And if it wasn't for my uh, beautiful wife, you know, grabbing me by the neck going, no, we are going to go camping. No, we are going to go to Disneyland. No, we are going to do this. You know, like she, she, she's made me, yeah, yeah, she's made me pause. She's, she's made me, you know, like, otherwise I, I was well, well on my way to being a, a, just a one dimensional workaholic, you know, with, with not too many other dimensions to my life. And so I, I get where you're, what you're saying. And, and, um, you, you know, thankfully I, I have not had to go through 
a battle with cancer to come to that realization. It's been a process. It's been her help. It's been my own self-reflection. It's been counseling, et cetera, that has allowed me to kind of take stock and recognize that that, that was a very limited one dimensional, uh, probably put me into the grave with a heart attack or stroke early in my life, kind of a lifestyle. And uh, I don't want to live that anymore. No, and me neither. Mm -mm. And, but you know what, at at the end of the day, and this is something that someone said to me a while ago. Well, I was in a, another doctor's office, not for me this time. (laughs) And he was saying, you know, because um, not Brittany, Sophia, my youngest, was having same type of stomach and colon issues. So I took her to a pediatric gastro doctor. And I had to write on there, you know, I had a history of colon cancer because it was relative to the, to the, to the discussion. And he's like, wow, breast cancer and colon cancer. He goes, there may be, it must be nothing that upsets you. You must always be up here. And I'm like thinking, that's just so unrealistic. Mm-hmm. You know, even surviving two cancers, you know, you still are a human being. You still get mad about things that don't matter, you know. And so people have to realize that, you know, while you're going through it, and people are telling you you're, you know, you're a survivor and you're a warrior and, you know, you get all this stuff going. And then you feel like when you have a bad day, you almost like beat yourself up. It's like, I'm supposed to be a warrior, you know, but this isn't a warrior attitude. I'm angry and I'm angry because this guy cut me off in traffic or, you know, the line's going too slow or whatever it is. So, you know, you just got to let yourself recognize that you're still human, you know, recognize it. I was just going to say, Jen does that for me all the time. I'll get frustrated driving because I'm, I'm an intense driver and I'll get frustrated Mm -hmm. and, and, and angry at somebody and she's all, and you're the host of the post, uh, the Hope Radio podcast. Listen to you right now. And I'm like, okay, I understand. I'm still human. I can still be frustrated, right? I can, I can still be upset. Right. right. Yeah. So I, I get, so. I get what you're saying. How, how did Brittany respond to the colon cancer diagnosis? Because I imagine that had to have been, you know, unnerving for her. It was. It was. Um that was probably the toughest conversation that I had as far as letting people know, you know, my parents, I let them know. And of course the people at my work, but Brittany, she, that was tough because I knew she was going to be upset, be freaked out about it to feel like, you know, she was going to lose me again. So I mean, she was, you know, she's always been a trooper. Brittany has. And, uh, eh, we did all right. Yeah, I can imagine it in, in her, you know, mid-20s, I could just imagine, you know, having overcome it the first time, I, I feel like there's two different directions somebody could take. Well, you made it through the first one, so I know you're going to make it through the second one. But also, I think that there's another side of it. You know, you dodged the bullet the first time. Are you going to be able to, are you going to be lucky enough to dodge it the second time kind of thing, you know? And so it's, it's I would imagine that would have been a tough conversation for you to have with her. Especially the first day. You know, because the first day, everything's sort of, where are we at with this? You know, how how has it metastasized? All you know at this point is that you have colon cancer. You don't know any stages. You don't know the rest of it. And I'll, at least with breast cancer, I found once I was told, you know, you're going to be fine. We're going to do this, this, this. And we have this, you know, agenda, this path. We're going to follow it. And everything's going to be okay. And I was like a soldier, like, okay, let's do it. Same with the colon cancer. Once I lined up all my doctor's appointments and we found out where we were at with things and what we were going to do, we had the game plan. I was like, okay, march forward. We're going to do it. And I think my attitude had a lot to do with Brittany's. She kind of reflected what I was doing. You know, if I was okay, if I'm optimistic, if I'm hopeful, like okay all right if you are okay then I'm okay too so she had hope because I had hope well speaking of the subject of uh of hope so through these experiences what are the top two three lessons you've learned we we just talked about kind of slowing down as as one are there any other lessons major lessons that you you drew upon or gathered or, or learned through this process I realized 
a lot about myself and what I was capable of, of doing and overcoming. So I think for me, it was just more lessons about me and what I was able to do. And I also believe that between the two cancers, that I much prefer to go through it with God beside me than without. There's just a comfort in knowing that God is there with you. And it's not over. I'm not, I'm not a super religious person, but I, I, yeah, I could definitely tell you that going through cancer faithless is tougher. Yeah, I could, I could imagine that that's not, uh, faith is so important because I think it's such an integral part of hope, you know, like, like even if, even if things don't work out the way that I expect them to be, there's, there's still hope for some sort of positive solution to the outcome. When you're weathering all of this just on the, on the sheer might and, and strength of your own will, it, it, it just doesn't oftentimes seem like enough. And so I could imagine the contrast. It's interesting to talk to you where you can contrast the two experiences and really come to that realization that, that faith is so important to the, the regimen of, of basically healthily surviving this, you know, going through that process and, and, uh, and uh, being comfortable, being at peace through the process. Yeah, well, there's an old adage uh, if you've heard it or not, uh, there are no uh, atheists in a foxhole. <laughs> you know, when when you're when you're staring at your at your life, you turn to God. A lot of people turn to God. You do. You pray. And yeah. uh, thank thank God, God answered my prayers because i I'm here for another round. Well, I'm, I'm going to title, uh, you know, I'm going to be sure to title this particular episode with an acknowledgement about the breast and the colon cancer. And so I want you right now, somebody undoubtedly will be listening to this at some point that is going through one of the two or something similar. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you now have an opportunity to share some wisdom, some words to somebody that might be listening that is currently in the battle, in their battle for their life. What would you say to that person? Give it everything that you have. It's so hard to like pigeonhole just a few things. There's so much to say that I would want to say to somebody if they were sitting across from me, you know, about going through the journey, you know, that it's okay to be upset and, and cry about having to check the box, check yes for cancer. You know, it's okay to be upset that you lose your hair. It's okay to be angry, but don't let yourself wallow there. I think that's the problem is that some people just let themselves stay in this place of despair. I feel like my ability to get through this was hope. It really, not to sound cheesy, but that really was, you know, I let myself be angry, but I didn't let myself stay there. And I moved on and I didn't Google. No Google. You know, you've mentioned that several times, and, and so not being familiar with what people do when they get that kind of a diagnosis, you, you're basically advocating that people not, you know, go home and do all of their own self-research yeah. about whatever it is their diagnosis yeah. has, has been because it can lead you down a dark place. I think that's, a, that's very similar to, I think, going to Google, using your analogy— is like drawing mm-hmm. the bathwater to wallow in the misery, to wallow in the negative, right? Like you said, it's okay right. to feel that way, but you don't want to, You don't want to wallow in it. Going to right. Google don't and doing that all on, on that all that online research is a, a form of wallowing in it. And I'll tell you why, because in the, the very when I first was diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, I started down this path of doing research. Now, for every good thing that you see, you see a lot of bad things, too. So, I mean, it, I found that looking these, this stuff up took away my hope. I was scared. It, it made me paralyzed in fear. And being afraid is what I felt kept me from moving forward, from fighting the fight. You know, as soon as I said, you know what, I'm not looking this up. I'm not, I'm, I'm refraining from my being you know, I am not a physician. 
And for me, anyway, not looking stuff up gave me, allowed me to keep my hope. Yeah, it's very difficult for I fear. I was, I was just going to say it's very difficult for fear to be anywhere near faith is. When you are faithful, when you have a belief that there's a purpose, that there's that there's that's hope, that there's a reason, that there's a positive outcome, that you, fear can't exist there. And I think that you know, going back to the contrast between the first experience and the second experience, when you have faith, it's it's much easier to not live in fear. But if you don't have faith, I think it's a lot more difficult to overcome that. So you're you you know, and being in a fearful mentality is not you know, conducive to your, to your body's health. Absolutely not. Fear, stress, all that. Every havoc on your body. Gina, I just, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your story. Thank you so much for your, for your truth and your vulnerability and your wisdom and your experience that you're sharing with others. I, I really feel like your message is coming through loud and clear. And uh, I think one of the reasons that you you went through this is for an opportunity like this, that your story may impact somebody else, that it may help somebody else go through their own journey. I hope so. I mean, I hope that I, even if I just reached one person, that would be terrific. If I could say, don't give up, keep fighting. I can promise you you're going to meet, reach more than one person. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for your, your story. I mean, the one, one thing I love about a podcast is that uh, when this thing is posted and, and it's up on the air, it, I mean, it can live out there in the Internet for years to come. So I have no doubt that your story, your message, your experience is going to uplift and inspire somebody else and give them hope. Well, that would be terrific. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with both of you today. I really appreciate getting my story out there. Thank you. I hope you. it helped. Yes. I'm sure it did, and you're welcome. Thank you. So what did you think about that one? Uh, I thought that interview was was awesome. You know, I just, I don't know. Doing this podcast, I guess, it's really introduced me to a whole bunch of people that just I'm I marvel at what they've been able to overcome. Mm-hmm. I mean a cancer fight is is one thing. Yeah. And somebody overcoming a cancer fight is one thing. But to then ten or twelve years later be faced with another cancer fight. Yeah. Completely different type, a completely different you know, part of her body. I just go, like, how do you how do you maintain your fight? How right. do you not want to just throw up your hands. And right. I, and I think it had everything to do with her daughter, Brittany. I think, you know, as a parent, you like part of you is in the back of your head, like, no, I got to be strong. Like mm-hmm. her point to the first fight that she had, she had to be strong. She yeah. had to show her daughter that she was unwavering so that the daughter could take comfort in the fact that mom was not going anywhere, you know, because the reality of it was, it was just the two of them. So right. how scary would that be, yeah, you know, for a 12 year old daughter at the time? So I thought it was very inspiring. And I think her, her contrast between dealing with the first experience without faith mm-hmm. and then dealing with her second fight with cancer with faith, yeah. I thought that was, that was awesome. awesome. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think her acknowledgement being in the medical community, she has a chance to see how people deal with this kind of stuff all the time. And she said, people of faith do better. I love that. That's what she said. They people of faith she do did, better, yeah. you know, I and I think that. it's this idea and this belief that there is going to be a positive outcome, the faith. I think your mind has a has a powerful, powerful effect on your body. And mm-hmm. I think if you got your mind right, and yeah. if you believe that things are going to turn around, I think that that's a launching pad to achieving that. Yes. But like if you're in this, woe is me, why did this happen to me? And you stay and you wallow in that, it's much more difficult. Yeah. So I thought she was awesome. Yeah, she was Thank great. you, Gina, for your story. Thank you for your vulnerability. And thank you for your message. Yes, great message. All right, Jen, if, if people want to hear more of our podcast and connect with us, please share how they would do that. Oh my goodness. You can listen to us on any place where you listen to podcasts. So iTunes, um, iHeartMedia, right? iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio. You you always transpose those. Yeah. I I don't know why. Because you used to pay the bills when I was in financial services. And when we were on the radio, you had to write checks to iHeartMedia. That's why you think (laughs) of that. That's very true. Um, Spotify, SoundCloud, Alexa, Apple Podcast app, Google Play, yeah. you know, all those good places. We're right? everywhere. Yep. 
And if they want to, you know, check us out on Instagram or Facebook, it's at Hope Radio Podcast. Yep. They can and we've got all of our right stories there. there, all of our profiles of former guests, uh, numbered shows, etc. So uh, we're actually in the process of creating our own website. Yes, very so. soon. HopeRadioPodcast.com. That's yeah. where it's going to be at. So uh, look forward to that coming out yeah. very, very soon. Yeah. All right, Jen. So here we go. I think after all of this, after mm-hmm. this fascinating story, I feel more hope filled than I did coming into today. And so I think we should do it again tomorrow. I think we should do hope. another Hope Radio podcast. <gasps> yes. Let's add another one. You know what? We're quickly approaching 100. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe we've almost done 100 of these? I wonder who's going to be our 100th. I don't know. But we're going to have to celebrate. Yes. Let's plan that. They're going to be super lucky. They are. We're going to send them presents. Well, let's just do another one. Okay. Here's a preview of episode number 83, our next episode of the Hope Radio podcast. And in West Virginia, there are a lot of bridges. And the reason why they have these bridges is because there's cliffs. And so, and then whenever I'm speaking to my audiences, especially my collegiate athletes, I always just say this, Sean. I say, look, nothing good happens after midnight, right? I mean, you live any way you want. <laughs> nothing good happens after midnight. And so this is obviously after midnight and is near this uh, cliff. Ended up walking off an 80-foot cliff. What? I didn't jump. I wasn't pushed. I, I just had absolutely no idea where I was. And so I, I kind of hit once and then land at the bottom of this crevasse. I'm conscious during the whole time. They have to crane me up out of it and take me to the hospital.